Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. I'd like to ask you a question as we begin this morning. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What do you care deeply about? I read an article this week that listed kind of the 16 categories of things that people are passionate about. Animals, yourself, hobbies, art, uplifting others, learning, simplifying, health and fitness, career, relationships, entrepreneurship, making a better society, teaching, your faith, I'm glad that was one of the 16, taking action, and life itself. What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? What do you think about? You know, in 1989, a youth leader in Holland, Michigan, noticed that her students were making friendship bracelets. And she had just read the book by Charlie Shedd, In His Steps, and she got the idea of asking the question, what would Jesus do? And she wanted her students and others to be able to to be reminded of that. So she decided to make a bracelet with those four letters on it, WWJD. And she connected with the Lesco company and they made 200 bracelets. <laughs> That's how it started. Well, this idea snowballed. By 1989, one website was selling 300,000 bracelets a month. And so millions of Americans bought bracelets and T-shirts and coffee mugs and different paraphernalia with those letters on it, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well... I have the next big thing this morning. I I think this is it. I think this is catchy. I think this is going to get it. WWJPA. It's kind of got a ring to it, doesn't it? What was Jesus passionate about? What was Jesus passionate? Well, you know, we're not going to market that. But we are going to study it today in John chapter 4. So I invite your attention there as we continue this 40 days of prayer with a message called His Food, Our Food. Now let me set the context for John 4 
as when we come to that part in the Gospel of John, Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, and he has a surprising encounter with a Samaritan woman in this village called Sychar, and that encounter brought life to her village, and it brought light to his disciples. So let me pick up beginning reading at verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, I want uh, Jessica and Herbert to be ready. In fact, you can make your way up here. You'll be reading, helping us read soon. For So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town... Uh, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, we always call it the outline sheet. On your outline, there's not really an outline today. It's a place for you to take notes and just to make some observations And these guys are going to help us read part of this story. Um, But let me give you just one piece of background before these guys read. Um, If if you lived in that day, you can see on this map in the green, or I guess it's green or brown, it's Judea. And if you were going to go up here to Galilee, there's... A, a region in between Samaria. Now, if you go through Samaria, who are you going to encounter? Samaritans. And who were the Samaritans? Well, 800 years before Jesus came, the nation of Syria came in and, and deported the leading citizens of Israel, just took them away, destroyed the nation, and Other foreigners moved in and there was intermarriage. And so the Jewish people that were left in the area, that that became this big division. They they did not like the Samaritans at all. In fact, they viewed them as uh, having a tainted religion, as being uh, racially half-mixed because of intermarriages. And it was just, it was just ugly. That's who the Samaritans were. And so if you were Jewish and you were in Judea and you wanted to go to Galilee, you would you might just go around Samaria. <laughs> you might not even go through Samaria at all. But this passage tells us Jesus was going to go on that route, but watch what his route was as we put it up. Boom. <laughs> he went right through it. Went right through it to Sychar. And he met a woman. So let's, let's listen to what happened next. Will you give me a drink? You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? If you, know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you, he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it, also his sons and livestock? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have uh, keep coming to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now have is not your husband. You are, you, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritan worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For the salvation is from the Jews, yet the time is coming and has come now. Come, sorry, yet a time is coming and has come now. Come, when the true has come now, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his follower must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Thank you. I can only make a couple of comments based on this part of the story. There's a huge contrast here between the encounters Jesus had in John 3 and John 4. In the last chapter, John 3, he encountered a very religious man, respected by everyone, named Nicodemus. And here in John 4, he meets a woman who is not very respected. (laughs) In fact, she is... um, uh, somewhat of an outcast. She's a Samaritan. She has had multiple husbands, is living with a man now who's not her husband, and coming to draw water by herself in the middle of the day, an unusual sight. So what a contrast. Jesus cared about both of those people. In fact, that's something we see. Jesus was traveling from Judea to uh, Galilee. He was tired and probably hungry. And yet he had time, he made time, to interact with this woman. She lived on the horizontal plane. (laughs) She lived in the here and now. Just what was right in front of her in life. And even as he started talking to her about water, she was thinking water, (laughs) physical water. And he wanted to lift her eyes to spiritual realities. 
It's a great story. We could really, really unpack a lot more of it. But I want to focus our time on what happens now. What happens after Jesus has this encounter with the woman? So let's pick up at verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Not necessarily a Samaritan, any woman. It's not normal for a Jewish male to talk in public to a woman in that culture. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Rabbi, eat something. You know, they'd gone to get food. (laughs) Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Just like the Samaritan woman was blind to the spiritual realities about the living water, his disciples were blind to the reality of what he was talking about, about real food. They were focusing on physical food. He was focusing on spiritual food. Now, Why does Jesus say this? It's an interesting statement. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food. What does food do for us? Think about that for a minute. Food nourishes us. Food sustains us. You have to have food to live, right? You don't have to live to eat food. Some people live to eat food, but we all eat to live, right? I mean, food is what is part of us all the time, every day. My food. It's not like, oh, well, you know, if I have to, I'll do God's will. No, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. All of us are driven by something, right? Remember those Things I put up at the beginning that people are passionate about, hobbies, entrepreneurship, uh, health and fitness. All of us are driven by at least one thing, maybe multiple things. Jesus is telling us what he was driven by. My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That verse is actually our memory verse for this week or part of it. So verse 34 there, uh, will you just read that again with me out loud? Let's, let's read that together, beginning at verse 34. Read, my food, said Jesus, 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Warren Wisby said it well, our Lord did not look on the Father's will as a heavy burden or distasteful task. He viewed his work as the very nourishment of his soul. Doing the Father's will fed him and satisfied him inwardly. So here it is. The disciples are showing a priority in this scenario, and Jesus is showing his priority, right? What's the disciples' priority? Food. (laughs) Probably kosher food. They probably went into the village to somehow try to find some kosher food, and they found it, and they brought it back. And here's Jesus talking to this woman, and now the townspeople are coming, and Rabbi, you need to eat something. That's what they were concerned about. What was Jesus' priority? It was God's will and his work. Do you see the contrast? Searching for food versus searching for people. Searching for God's work, for God's will, which is people. That's what Jesus was all about. That's why he came. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to do his will. What was his will? His will was to save people. The Son of Man, Luke says, came to seek and to save those who were lost. This is why Jesus came. This is what drove him. This was his priority. This remains his priority today, reaching people And bringing them to spiritual life. This is what Jesus is all about. This is God's will. This is God's work. This is Jesus. And it's very, very clear here. He was willing to leave heaven, to take on the form of a man, to suffer all the indignity of being a servant to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death on the cross, taking God's punishment, God the Father's punishment, wrath on him as a penalty for sin, taking our punishment in our place so that he could satisfy God the Father and he could forgive us of our sins. And this incredible separation between humanity and God was bridged by what Jesus did. That is why he came, my food. And this is a good spot, I think, to stop and ask you, not just to assume, do you understand this? Is this a reality for you? Do you understand what Jesus is about? Not a good moral teacher or it isn't about religion or being better or being confirmed or baptized or something. It's it's knowing that we're separated from God and trusting 100% in him for forgiveness. That's what repentance and faith is. It's walking in one direction and realizing how wrong that is and turning to God in repentance and putting total faith in Jesus. I hope you've opened your heart to him. And if not, that today could even be that day. This is why Jesus came at the end of the book of John. John tells us Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he came for people. He came for people like Nicodemus, the religious guy. He came for people like the Samaritan woman who was not religious, who was immoral, outcast. He came for people like you and me. He came for people like your neighbor who's living for relationships. He came for people like the students you go to school with who are living for for acceptance and pleasure. Came for people like your co-workers who are living for career. He came for people like your friends who are living for their hobbies. This is why Jesus came. My food, my food, my food. Now, back in John 4, notice what he says to the disciples at this point. After saying my food is to do the will of the Father. Don't you have a saying It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So normally there's a gap between sowing and reaping. It might be four months. It was several months in that culture. This kind of proverb or whatever this saying, it might have been that it was said when there was about four months left, but whatever It was common knowledge in that day that there was a time to sow and there was a time to reap. And there was a separation period in there. And there's months in between. And he didn't use these words, but it's almost like once there's been the sowing, until you get to the harvest, that's months down the road. There's really not anything to do right now. But wait. Wait. For God to bring the harvest, right? I mean, that's, that's what he's pointing out. They've got this saying, oh, there's four months till the harvest. If there's four months to the harvest, you don't need to go out there right now. <laughs> but here's what Jesus is doing. Like he often does, he's changing everything. His coming inaugurated a brand new era. And the fact that he came means they can't just sit around and wait. They can't just say, oh, okay, the harvest is going to come one day. No, Jesus coming inaugurates this new era in which sowing and reaping are condensed. In fact, both happen at the same time. It's still a process, but it's not like they're separated by months necessarily and Because of that, I tell you, in other words, you've heard this, this is what you normally say, but it's different now. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. I want you to see what I'm seeing, Jesus says. The fields are ripe for harvest. He's changing things. Oh, how we need to hear his words today, right? I mean, think about it. If Jesus said this to those men in that culture, what would he say today 
if he were walking planet Earth in 2022? I think he would say, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You know, when Americans are asked about their religious identity, when they're surveyed about it, the fastest growing group is the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E. These are people who say, I'm nothing. Agnostic, atheist, I'm not attached to any religious group or belief necessarily. It's the fastest growing group. Just last month, December, Pew Research did a survey and said that 29% of American adults identify themselves as a nun. That's one-third of all American adults saying, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing spiritually or religious. I'm nothing religiously. Some of those people, many of those people say, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious, right? That's up from 19% in uh, 10 years ago and 23% in 2016. The fields are ripe right here in America. <laughs> the fields are ripe right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, of course, the fields are very ripe internationally, and I could say much about that, but I'm going to hold that because we're going to come to that on another, another week in this 40 days. But Christian, those of you who are followers of Jesus, I'd like to ask you a question. How's your eyesight? Are you, are you looking around? Are you hearing what Jesus said and, and opening your eyes to how ripe the spiritual fields are, how many people around us need God so desperately. Is that what your eyes are on? Or are your eyes on your busy life, your problems, the pandemic? politics or fear of what people will think about you if you say something about Jesus. Jesus continued in verse 36. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad Together, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. At the beginning of John 4, the disciples were already involved in the reaping. They, had already, they were baptizing. It said Jesus had, you know, would baptize more, but he wasn't the one baptizing. His disciples were, were doing the baptizing and what he's saying to them is the reason that you're reaping now is because of the hard work that others have already done. There was a long line of prophets leading up to the person of Jesus. And the last in the line of those prophets was a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if you look back at John 3.23, had been ministering in this very area not too long ago. And I think Jesus is saying, look, uh, spiritual success now is built on the backs of others. 
That's that one sows and one reaps. You are reaping what you haven't worked for and others have done the hard work. And our vision at Harvest is to make disciples who make disciples. Let me put this little graph up about the disciple-making journey. The disciple-making journey is somebody starts out lost. (laughs) They don't know Christ. Christ is not in their life. They might be really good and moral like Nicodemus. They might be not really good and moral like this Samaritan woman. But they're lost and they need to be saved. They need to trust Christ. They need to become a Christian. And the journey, there's a journey to get them there. And then once they are saved, they grow and they become a disciple maker. And you and I, those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are Christians, we come into the lives of people at different spots in their journey. Different spots between their being lost and their being saved. And our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. And the strategy is a three-word strategy. And the first word is the word live. We're trying to help people live in Christ. In other words, we're trying to help people move from being lost to being saved. But that's a journey. And you don't know in that journey when you're dealing with people if you're going to be the sower or the reaper or both. You might just sow. In fact, you might sow for a long time. You might sow a good life before them. You might sow good deeds to them. You might sow conversations with them. You might sow scripture with them. You might sow love for them. And you might sow and sow and never see it. And that doesn't mean that the harvest is not going to come in their life. Somebody else may be the person that God uses to take them across the finish line, so to speak. You know what I mean? You might... Be talking to someone and people have been sowing in them for a long, long time. And God lets you help them get to that spot. It's not important. You know, the sower and reaper work together and we don't ever know. But I would encourage you if you're a Christian, don't be discouraged if, if you don't reap all the time. Don't feel like you've got to take somebody through the whole process. Just... Just keep sowing, keep praying and keep sowing and God will do the reaping. That's what live is. Once they're saved, then we want to help them grow as a Christian, grow in that life. And we're helping them grow so that they will turn around and go do the same thing. Well, Watch how it happened as our passage concludes. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Because of his words, many more became believers.
And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. (laughs) So what we're seeing today is we're seeing Jesus' heart. We're seeing his passion. We're seeing his food. This is what drove Jesus. And the all-important question is, why am I preaching on this passage in the 40 days of prayer? Our 40 days of prayer is called In His Name. And, and why are we preaching on what seems to be evangelism in an emphasis on prayer? Well, let me remind you, or if this is your first day in here in person or watching online, these are the key verses that we're building this whole emphasis for six weeks on. John 14, verse 13 and 14, Jesus promised, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So what we're trying to learn is what does it mean to pray in his name? And we are saying there are four components to praying in Jesus name, praying in compliance with his character, praying based on his merit, praying with his power and authority and praying in line with his priorities and purposes. So now let's put the two together. And let's take those four things about praying in Jesus' name and let's see how they relate to praying for lost people. So here's how praying in Jesus' name informs Our prayers for lost people. First of all, it's praying in compliance with his character. What's Jesus' character here in John 4? Compassion. He cared about this woman. Nobody else seemingly cared about her. Those men in her life didn't care about her. Townspeople didn't really care about her. But Jesus cared about her. Because he's full of compassion. And so as we think about lost people... The people that don't know Christ, he's compassionate for them. That's why we pray for lost people, because of his character. So when I'm praying for a lost person, I'm praying in Jesus' name. You see that? How about his merit? (laughs) Well, our only access to God, the only way we can pray to God the Father is through Jesus the Son. Based on who he is and what he's done. How about with his power and authority? (laughs) He's able to save. We read at the end, many of the townspeople came and many of them believed this is who Jesus is. He can save people. He can save neighborhoods. He can save people groups. He can save. He can save. He's able to save. He's powerful to save. And so praying for a lost person, if I'm praying in Jesus' name, I'm not just mouthing the words, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I am basing it on his power and authority. And I have a confession to make to you. I have prayed many times in my life for lost people. And I have said the, quote, right words in that prayer. 
I've asked God to save them or work in their heart or whatever. I've done that many times and said, ended that prayer with the words in Jesus' name without really focusing on the power of Jesus to do what I was asking. Can anybody relate? Praying in Jesus' name is like, it's not demanding God, but it's appropriating the power of his name to do it. And then finally, praying in Jesus' name is in line with his priorities and purposes. Well, we're seeing it. What's his purpose? What's his priority? My food is to do what? The will of God. To finish the work of God. What's that? People. So we can pray for with confidence. So here's God's word for us today. You see anything that repeats there? <laughs> to reach lost people. Here's God's word. Jesus' priority to reach lost people. And his power to reach lost people leads us to pray for and seek lost people. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus' priority to reach lost people and his power to reach lost people leads us to pray for and seek to reach lost people. The late Haddon Robinson told about two people that moved from one state to another. They actually moved into each other's states. The person who lived in Colorado moved to Texas, built a house, and there was a big open window, picture window in the house, and out through that window they could see hundreds of miles of ranch land. And they said... Having moved from Colorado, they said, there's nothing to see here. The person from Texas moved to Colorado, built a house, big picture window, with a view, a majestic view of the Rocky Mountains. And they said, there's nothing to see here. The mountains are in the way. And Robinson said this. People have a way of missing what's right before them. They go to a city and see lights and glitter, but miss the lonely people. They hear a person's critical comments, but miss the cry for love and friendship. Church, let's freshly hear Jesus' words today. Lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. The fields are white with harvest. Let's let him open our eyes to that. And knowing that Jesus' priority 
is to do the will of God the Father, I want to ask this question as we close. How can you make God's will and work your priority? Let's bow our heads, please. The gospel is this. It's not up to you and me. We don't have to be good enough evangelists or good enough prayers to happen, make it happen. It's a matter of surrender. Believers in Christ surrender everything to Christ who lives in us, in you and through you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then allow him to lead you to pray and act accordingly through his power. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.